0: Well, folks, it's another episode of Fresh Tracks Weekly, and this week, you're stuck with me, because Marcus is a super busy guy, and this week, he's really busy, so I said, you know what, Marcus? I'll give everybody my opinions about this whole legislative update. He said, all right, go for it, so here I am. With the legislatures winding down in some states, and well I guess in a few states they're still going full steam ahead but there's a thing that's going on being kicked around and it is the constitutional right to hunt and fish and in my case I want it to be trapping also 22 states currently have a constitutional right to hunt and fish or to harvest game or however each state words it and we have some states if you've been paying attention have been getting hammered on wildlife issues lately at the ballot box, okay? They lose by 50 and percent to 49 and percent. Well, a couple of those states that come to my mind, Colorado, Oregon, Washington, you don't have that constitutional right in Nevada or Arizona or New Mexico. Most of the states that have it are the Northern Rockies, uh, the Southern states, in quite a few of the Midwest states, but South Dakota, Iowa, Missouri, Illinois, talking to you. Right now, we have a bill in the Montana legislature, uh, House Bill 372, and some people would say, well, you guys already have that right to hunt and fish. And we do. This bill is gonna tweak some of our, or it would tweak some of our existing language, and it ran into a lot of opposition. So I dug into it a little deeper to say, all right, where, where did this opposition come from that maybe hit some resistance that I wasn't expecting? And it has this statement and it, it says, including the right to use current means and methods. So quite a few people testified against the bill saying, well, that handcuffs agencies or other mechanisms we use for managing wildlife. It, it says, you're, you're stuck in 2023 no matter about changing technologies, changing science, disease, or whatever else might hit the future landscape. So it's like, okay, I kind of get that. Uh, Some say it's just too restrictive. You got to give the agencies the right to adapt. I think what it shows us is that how you word some of these things, uh, there's some model laws out there that you could look to of how to word it so it's it's still effective but it's not gonna get way out in the weeds and create opposition that you don't really need. The other change that's in there that I think is far less controversial and I've only heard a couple people disagree with it, uh, it says, shall give preference to hunting, fishing, and trapping by citizens as the primary but not exclusive means of the state's fish and state's management of fish and wildlife. Well, if you look at washington state they're saying their commission is trying to say that hunting doesn't have a relevant place in wildlife management so i read this part of montana but i'm like "Oh yeah that's, i'm behind that even with that there are critics and again there's the predictable critics but then some hunters got up and testified that they don't want to see trapping constitutionally protected. I'm like, hello? You hunt, you fish, (laughs) trapping is very much the same. Now, some people will say that these constitutional right ballot initiatives, or constitutional harvest, you know, whatever you want to call it, amendments, uh, they say they're not necessary, that, ah, you don't need those. I feel that in today's world they are helpful. And then some say that it just provides a false comfort because Montana says we guarantee the citizens the right to hunt and fish. And I've heard attorneys say, well, if I gave you a two-day fishing season and a one-day hunting season, we'd still meet your constitutional right. Hmm. But here's the way we look at it. We do know that our laws and our constitutions are an expression by the people of what they want from their government. It expresses our value and our intent. And I think these constitutional amendments related to hunting, fishing, and trapping do have value. They are a statement of what our values are, what our intent is. And I hope that some of you states that are dealing with these issues maybe get active around those kind of ideas. Will these other states have any success in their efforts to do it? Well, that usually depends on two things. One, how your constitution is worded, or at least how your state laws are worded to change a constitution. But usually it gets down to how organized the citizens are, the hunters, the anglers, the trappers, the people who have a vested interest in this. Are you, are, are you gonna show up? Are you gonna be active? Are you gonna fund it? I hope so. Because if we just go to Facebook and complain, nothing's going to change. So here's the second issue. Uh, It's about access. And I'm talking about access to state trust lands. And some of you might say, what are state trust lands? I know what the BLM, Bureau of Land Management is. I know what the US Forest Service is. What's state trust lands? Well, if you've ever looked at a surface map, you see these little powder blue sections. At the time of statehood, every state was granted millions of acres to fund your school systems. And usually there's a board of trustees or a state land board or something in charge of managing these. Right now, only 13 of the 50 states allow some form of access to their state lands for hunting and recreation. Only 13. That's millions of acres that could be open hunting, to recreation, if we change those laws. So, Colorado, 2.8 million acres of state trust lands. Right now, Parks and Wildlife went from leasing a half million of that to about 980,000 of that now. But that still leaves, what, 1.8, 1.9 million acres that hunters and recreationists don't have access to? Let's take some other states. Nebraska has 1.4 million acres that we don't have access to as hunters and recreationists. Oklahoma and Texas, they're not real, known as public land-rich states. Well, Oklahoma has, let's see, 740,000 of those acres. Texas has 660,000 of those acres. What if we could find a way to pay a fee like some states do to get you access to those lands. Well, I'm gonna give you a little history of how maybe that could happen. In Montana, uh, when I first moved here in 1991, we were just like Colorado. We could not hunt our state trust lands. I Think 5.4 million acres is how much we were talking about. And in 1992, I'd only been here about a year or so, folks started talking about this stuff. Let's get this changed. The 93 legislature, we all show up and some try to get some traction, don't really get the traction we want. The summer of 1994, I think it was, or spring of 1994, Governor Mark Roscoe says, I'm gonna appoint this committee and you guys are gonna work this out. And so through all this process, the state land board and the citizens came to some changes in the administrative rule of what was allowed recreation. And here's the deal that was struck. Recreationists, mostly hunters, said, we will pay a fee, and you, the state land board, you trustees who have to raise money for the schools from these lands, you're going to get the money. Well, if I'm a trustee in charge of funding the schools and someone comes and says, hey, how about I give you a few, few million bucks here, I, I can't turn that down. I'm, I'm a trustee, I'm accountable to the beneficiaries, the students of my state. And so, voila, 1994, the big change happens, and it took a lot of persistence, okay? There's a guy, Jack Atchison Senior, who is, was an out, ran an outfitting and booking business in Butte, Montana, led this charge and he put his heart and soul into it, him, Tony Shun and others. Uh, Now in Montana, that's five million acres. Imagine if we said, oh we're just going to take five million acres off the map. No more hunting access there. Now think about the other way. What if you could add a million acres? The best way for those of you in these states to accomplish that is by appealing to those trustees of that state land board these are trustees accountable to your school systems and if you go there and say look we'll pay a 20 25 30 dollar annual fee for access to these lands you've now put them in the hot box what are they going to say oh we don't need your money our schools are overfunded no but if you have administrative rule where your trustees can make that decision That's one way to go about it. Maybe your trustees then have to go to the legislature and say, hey, we need to change this. Do you think the citizens of your state are going to side with the minority of people who would say, no, we don't want the public on those public lands? No, the majority of the citizens of your state are going to say more money for our schools, and we're going to let people actually access state land? Good luck voting that one down. I Throw that out there. Because I think about how many states don't allow access to their state trust lands. And I think about how many millions of acres that is. And I try to think, how could, you know, as hunters, if we go raise money with our groups and everything else, how could we go and buy five million acres or 10 million acres? That'd cost us billions of dollars. But what if we, went and agreed we'll pay a modest fee for accessing these lands every year. That's what we do in Montana. There's no, no activity, no mechanism, no way I can think of that would accomplish that much access for that many people for such a modest little fee. Yeah, it's gonna take some work, but you know what? If we give up, we're never gonna get what we want. So, Uh, I know these two topics are kind of general, they're not real specific, but hopefully it gives you a lot to think about. Because ensuring the future of hunting and fishing and trapping via constitutional amendments, I think is super helpful, super important. And I think some of you need to be thinking about that in your state. And we're always looking for more access, right? As we're losing private access, What if we could offset that by opening up a bunch of public access to state trust lands? I think that's a pretty worthwhile legislative or endeavor that we can take on either legislatively or through administrative rule. So anyhow, that's the legislative update for this week. Thanks for watching. Appreciate y'all being here. Hopefully Marcus will be back next week. All right. Well. All you guys know that my pronghorn course went live on outdoor class this week. Yeah. And we got a whole bunch of other classes out there. Me, Corey Jacobson's University of Elk Hunting, uh, Remy Warren, Hank Shaw, John Barclow, Jamie Tegan, And we got five more in the can coming. Uh, but it kind of brings up a lot of pronghorn questions that have been coming our way. But also the the whole online learning thing. And I'm looking at Blake and Michael Thinking, all right, wh- how you guys feel about this online learning stuff? YouTube and online classes and content that you don't get from grandpa
1: anymore. I mean, it's the thing of today. It's like, it doesn't just apply to hunting in the outdoors. Like, I could go online and learn how to plumb. And, you know, it's like, is that taking away from plumbers and electricians <laughs> and whatnot? <laughs> Maybe, but it's it's... There's so much accessible information that we're, we're playing into today's society of online learning. Um, I think it's a great thing. I enjoy learning new things online. I do it all the time. I don't know a dang thing about trucks, but I often like to get on YouTube, figure out, like, hey, how do I replace this light bulb in my truck? Or how do I put in these speakers or replace a fuse and um, whatnot? So that aspect of being able to go online and learn something new has been a big part of my life, and I enjoy getting online and learning something new almost every day. I use YouTube a lot to learn about our editing software, etc. So yeah, I use yeah. it all the time.
2: Yeah, being a YouTube mechanic is yeah. a great, really? great thing. Yeah, but I was just thinking too, when we were in film school, we used this, it was like uh, a com, I think is what it was called. But it was, like, whenever we had to learn actual, like, software tasks, it, it'd send you to Linda. And it. I learned way more of practical skills on that than I actually did from, like, the professors and <laughs> the teachers. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Like, when you actually need to know, like, how to do something, like, you just logged on to Linda and it would tell you. So it's definitely a thing that I've used.
3: Yeah, I mean, I wish I had a grandpa that showed me how to, you know, run my 12-gauge or, like, you know, apply for tags or follow, have me follow them around the woods and stuff, but I just didn't have that growing up. So when I got interested in hunting, there's only, you know, the internet really to, I didn't, you know, I didn't have any friends growing up that hunted. So in the hunting space for me, it was all online learning. So yeah, I'm kind of with Blake. It's 2023. Most people (laughs) are uh, learning. If you're learning anything nowadays, it's on the internet i mean yeah i i feel like you know i'm rigging my boat right now kind of like what what blake was saying is everything i'm doing is is online youtube tutorials on how to rig this how to do that how to install this bilge pump do wiring and stuff and like i feel like it's also part of our why in our in the business here is like educating people you know right. it's not like we're out there telling people like you need to, like, everybody should apply for unit seven in you know Colorado or whatever. Write that um, down. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I don't even know if that's like a legit unit, but like, we're just lowering the. I mean, you still have to do your research and stuff, especially like with that. If you if you're if people are complaining about like the application stuff or like you know, e learning, like your pronghorn course, you still have to like spend the time to to like learn it or. You still yeah. got to go do it. Yeah, you still got to go do it. I mean, you can consume all the information you want, but, like, translating that into actually going out in the field and using
2: that information is a different thing. Yeah. I, I've probably been one of the critics at times where, I like, sometimes I'm like, you know, sometimes people need to learn how to do stuff themselves. <laughs> so I, that has been me for sure. But at the same time, I come from a place of privilege of growing up hunting. Right. And so a lot of it just came naturally to me. But it it is frustrating when people want, like, Literally everything handed to him. Oh like, yeah. Tell okay. me exactly where I can go to kill a 350 bull, or where can I go shoot an 80 inch pronghorn? Like, okay, like. And I you guys know you we
0: d- we don't do that. We don't provide that, right? But people go to places where they can get a lot of information about what we do, where we apply, where we draw tags, and there's nothing we can do about that. But we've had sponsors get emails saying Newberg won't tell me where he was at. Or, you know, I, I asked him for some GPS coordinates and he said, well, the goal of our stuff is to give you the tools to figure out your own GPS coordinates. That's how far there, there is with this whole online learning thing. There is a level of, in some people, almost like entitlement or expectation that you're going to just hold my hand through the whole process. And maybe that's because we make ourselves very accessible and we, we put ourselves in that position. I don't
2: know. But I, well, I think sometimes people fail to realize, too, that if you literally gave them a GPS coordinate, like, well, if I give just you that, then maybe it'll work. But if I give <laughs> 10 people that, then <laughs> 10 people is too many people for that particular area. And then it's going to completely negate the fact that it was a good spot. right?
1: Yeah. And then those 10 people share with 10 other people. Exactly. You know, yeah. yeah. No. So
0: or when someone sees us in the field, field and... You go read on a forum or a, you know a Facebook page. Hey, I ran into the Fresh Tracks crew at this trailhead. Well, <laughs> guess how many people read that, and maybe they'll be at the trailhead tomorrow. It'd be a terrible way to scout in my mind, because if you found that information online of a specific spot or a specific location, other people can find it, and they're probably going to be there too. So uh, that's why we don't give that information in and yeah. Uh, you see me answer the questions on YouTube, Michael, where they're like, can you tell me what unit that was? And the canned answer it's copied and pasted on my desktop is out of respect for other hunters who apply or hunt there. We do not give that information. Right. And yeah. And my thing too, is like, that's part of the fun of
3: hunting is like yeah. going out and finding your, your little hole, you know? Exactly. And like, I kind of equate this, like we talk about this a lot at work and I feel like like and from a different perspective like a fishing perspective it's like i'll tell my friends like yeah you can there's a good hole over there but like if you don't know how to like rig up the right lure or like you know put yourself in the right situation to catch those fish like i can tell you there's a hole in there and there's fish in there but like some people it might not even matter if you're like just seeking the spot that may not like i guess in hunting it may be a little different because you can like glass stuff but like maybe it was good last year it's not good this year um it's you're kind of just cheating yourself because like that's part of the fun of hunting or fishing it's like going out you know sure I'm going to learn as much as I can about a trout or an elk or a pronghorn in this case but like going out and learning those spots like yourself is part of the in my opinion is part of one of the best aspects of doing it
0: yeah. And that's how the whole pronghorn course, just like my rifle out course, just like Corey's university of out course, Remy's Meal deer course, they're all based on providing information and knowledge and skills that you can take and apply to your own hunting. It's mm-hmm. its not like, Oh, you know, if you want to shoot an 80 inch pronghorn buck, this is where you go and you got to be there on this day because this is what happens. it it's, Learning. It, right. it, it, because it you know, it's the old saying of you know, give them give a man a fish and he'll eat for a day. Or where we don't want people to just do it for a day. Yeah. So but anyhow, yeah, you I I figure thirty one years of pronghorn hunting, I've never seen another course out there. So yeah. When they asked me if I'd do it, I'm like, oh, man, now you're talking my language. Yeah, yeah.
3: you couldn't find a better person to do it, too, because I haven't met anyone that's as obsessed with pronghorn <laughs> hunting as Randy <laughs> Newber. <laughs> well,
2: and pronghorn hunting, to me, too, is so interesting because it's such a different, like, depending on which tag you get or which state you're hunting, it could be, like, drastically different. Oh. Like, because there's times where, like, I've had a really good tag in Wyoming that took a long time to draw, and it's just, like, a crazy hunt like there was antelope everywhere right whereas like i've had units in montana where like you have to like hunt hard just to find one like finding them is going to be difficult whereas like other hunts it's the finding them is the easy part and figuring out how you're going to kill them or which one you want to kill is the hard part so it's kind of interesting like you know there's a lot of different avenues for how to hunt pronghorn depending on where you're at yeah
0: You give me a pronghorn tag in Montana, I'm shooting the first legal buck I see. Right. None of this window shopping stuff. You give me a pronghorn tag in Wyoming or Nevada, Arizona, New Mexico, I'm going to be there scouting for many days. I'm going to be window shopping, and the odds are I'm not shooting the first one I see unless he's one I found while I was scouting. And so you you can kind of make of it what you want. To me, that's the fun of pronghorn hunting, and usually – and mo- not always but usually it's a pretty rich environment of of animals to go and chase after mm-hmm. and sure. they're my favorite thing to eat
2: yeah they're pretty tasty i'd agree very yeah. tasty they just need more meat on them yeah they just need
0: to be I a know. little bit bigger <laughs> but when you shoot one two miles from the truck it is nice because you can haul it out in one trip and it's really not even that heavy of a load so
3: they're just a really cool species too like coming from the Midwest never seeing them growing up it's always fun to see them out there running around doing their thing they're pretty goofy um yeah it's just their colorations are s- super cool if you ask me too, they got really interesting hair yep. yeah it's just cool species
2: for sure and that's like another one of those things where you know the species takes you to cool habitats and granted a lot of antelope will be living on pivot center pivots and you know an irrigated land but when you get into nat like native native <laughs> habitat can't talk right now but yeah this is like their native habitat like if you're up you know on a high line or eastern montana central montana like this is what word i'm familiar with but there's some super intact habitats just you know rolling grasslands and sagebrush stuff that's super cool to be in it's just like a i don't know they take they can take you to some really cool spots
0: oh yeah yeah like Hunting them in Nevada for me is so cool because Nevada is very desolate, but it's also the most arid state in the country. And to see the harsh places these animals can prosper in, you know, they've got adaptations to their kidneys and other parts of their digestive tract where they can eat certain toxic plants that deer and elk and cattle and sheep can't. And so you're like, how are they making a living out here? And just fascinating to me to go see him do that. And, you know, I've been blessed to hunt them in pretty much every state. And I hopefully some of that information translates in a 12-chapter course. I don't know. Do you have you know?
3: a, a favorite chapter, like a
0: chapter that you, like, enjoyed making the most? Um, I kind of nerd out on them. So the part that I I want people to connect where you're going to find pronghorn to why you're going to find them there. So the number one anti-predation sense that pronghorn have are their eyes, right? Everyone's like, oh, eight power vision. Okay. They're going to live in habitats that maximizes that over the predators versus minimize that. So all the studies show that they prefer vegetation that is 18 inches or lower. Why? Because if there's a coyote sneaking up there, they're going to see them. And then their number one escape mechanism is their speed, okay? They aren't going to be able to run through 35-inch sagebrush really fast. So their speed gets negated if they're in the wrong habitat types. So there's a reason why they are where they are. And so doing that chapter of taking all this physiology, all this evolution, and trying to put it into something that, hunters can say okay now I know why they're there or why do they come in water at certain times of the day and why do they choose what water source they do well they prefer by many acts a water source that has 300 yards of visibility as they approach the water source as quick as you start shrinking that even to 200 yards the use gets way less and you get it to where the visibility is only 100 yards, the use is even lower. Why? Because the number one place that a pronghorn gets predated on is when they come to water. Okay. The bobcats, the coyotes, the everything else are just like us, but they don't set up a blind. <laughs> I was right? going to say, and
2: the archery hunters. Because exactly. that's probably how most <laughs> archery pronghorn get killed. Right.
0: Through. So you start talking about those kind of things. Well, why, why is the peak watering period at 11 in the morning? First of all, there's the need, okay? They've got up and they, they need to water before it gets really hot. Second of all, their vision is way better once the sun gets, you know, higher in the sky. Coming in and watering at early daylight when a pronghorn's vision is not that much better than ours is not a really good idea if that's your number one mechanism for detecting danger. So the chapter of trying to explain how all of that connects to where you're going to find them Was probably the most challenging part of the course of of scripting it and building it, but hopefully people find that worthwhile because it's just like every species we hunt, they are somewhere on that day for a reason. They 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 don't have the luxury of just randomly saying, "Oh, today I think I'm gonna you know go walk through the cattails," and you know along comes a bobcat or something that grabs them. They. Every day for them is trying not to become somebody's meal. And uh, then we go through all those things and we try to say, okay, we as hunters, how do we try to mitigate those advantages they have and put ourselves in situations where now we have the advantage? And that's about as basic as I can make it. But it's it nerds out pretty heavy on pronghorn.
2: Yeah. And,
3: uh, yeah. Do you call them pronghorn or antelope? They're pronghorn. <laughs> but
0: here's, here's the stupid part of Google, right? If you go to Google and you look at SEO, search engine optimization, most people search for antelope. And so I got my Bible, my pronghorn Bible on the desk in there. You guys have seen it. It's that pronghorn ecology book by uh, Yokum and O'Gara the very first paragraph in their book is like these are not an antelope these are a pronghorn so i uh when i was going through the edits i'm like get rid of antelope get rid of antelope get rid of antelope and the pushback was well randy if you want anyone to find this course you got to leave the term antelope in there hell with it i don't care if they find the course (laughs) we're calling them pronghorn (laughs) (laughs) I think, what
2: is it, about half the state agencies? That's the, yeah. Well, some of them have antelope in the regulations and some of them have pronghorn. So
0: when we got in this argument, the other people show me the regulations from the states that call them antelope. I'm like, yeah. you bunch of
2: knotheads. If you've, if you've noticed, I've been about 50-50 just on the discussion so far today. <laughs> yeah. I, I just use them interchangeably. Kind of like bison and buffalo. Yeah. It's yeah. Like you know,
0: Michael just knows that's my hot button. So it, it, I, <laughs> yeah. I think you guys conspired before this to say, oh, let's get him to talk about if they're pronghorn or antelope. Because they're not antelope. They're a uniquely North American species. The pronghorn
2: is what they are. Yeah. Well, Blake yep. just applied for his first yeah.
1: pronghorn tag, right? Yeah, uh, for some rifle hunts. i looking forward to hopefully drawing one and getting out and chasing after them. Yeah if, yeah, if 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 I'm available,
0: to, you're gonna have a sidekick.
1: All right, that uh, yeah, and I'll definitely have to watch all twelve of those <laughs> chapters and learn as much as I can.
0: Uh, it's amazing how many pronghorn hunts I get invited on, and people are like, "Oh, I hate to ask you, I hate to bother you." I'm like, uh, "You aren't bothering me." I'm like, uh, heck with this elk hunting stuff. I'm going on that pronghorn hunt." So, but do you guys get, apply for any pronghorn? You probably applied uh, yeah. for archery
3: because yeah, you're archery. Yeah, I an always archer. do that. Yeah, the nine. H- we have a. We have a tag in Montana that's guaranteed as a resident, so I'd yeah. try and do that. I've never killed one with my bow, but I go and attempt to do it for a few days every year. It's a fun way to get kind of ready for... I think it's always, like, a good practice for, like, getting ready for archery elk season. Yeah. Getting in, like, stocking yeah. shape, so to speak, and, like... Knock the dust off. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, it's fun, but...
0: You need to go see Chapter 8, I think it is. It's strictly a chapter on archery pronghorn. Yeah. And I feel like a little bit of a lack of expert there because I've only shot four of them with a bow. I've I've hunted a lot of them with a bow, so I learned a lot by making mistakes. But I know there are some people who just go and they sit water and they're so persistent that they're going to get one. You know, you just, yeah. If, if you do it right. Whereas me, I got ants in my pants and I go on spot and stock and I mess up. So many of them, but that's when it's really fun. Oh, oh it's, yeah. it's so, so, so
2: fun because a lot of times it's a target-rich environment, too. And so spawn stock is a blast. Yeah. But that's probably the most challenging aspect to pronghorn hunting. They can see.
0: and yeah, dr- see Drawing a, an archery pronghorn tag compared to a rifle pronghorn tag is 3, 4, 5, 10x easier right. than a rifle pronghorn tag. So I just like to go, so. I don't care. You told me that there's a slingshot season. I'd probably be out there somehow. (laughs) But, uh, so anyhow, that's, uh, what's in that course. And obviously we always, we don't want anyone to pay full retail. So don't tell the folks at outdoor classes, but if the audience uses promo code Randy, they get 20% off.
3: Yeah. And not only is it, the prong or course but they get access Everything. to a lot of oh yeah they a lot get, of other
0: information that's the interesting structure of outdoor classes right now there are i think eight courses out there plus Corey's university of outcunning uh five more in the can and a bunch more on the roadmap. so for your subscription every time a new course is added you get it uh, so it's not like you know you get this for a week or whatever so yeah, yeah get it all so
2: yeah
0: this is the newest one though right yeah this that, is th- that rolled out on monday so that's i don't know if, i don't know of any other pronghorn courses out there i maybe there is but i've never seen one so i couldn't plagiarize from anybody <laughs> <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> but yeah you know, i i think it's just one more step in this online learning thing that we started with That uh, that's how people do it today that you know the the old critique or criticism of well you know grandpa And I spent 30 years before I learned all this. Well, guess what? Uh, It applies to working on your truck, rigging your boat, learning cameras and videos. Everything in our lives, this is just a part of it. And to to think that the hunting space, fishing space, outdoor space isn't somehow going to adapt to these new ways that people learn and consume information, well, I guess go turn off your... Your TV, turn off your phone and go go live in a log cabin or something. <laughs> but
3: yeah, it turns out if you don't like it, you don't have to buy it. Like you don't <laughs> you don't have to go. <laughs> but anyways, yeah.
0: Uh, so anyhow, hopefully the course works. If we all draw pronghorn tags and I don't fill any tags this year, they're gonna be like, "Hey Newberg, I want my money back, man." <laughs> uh. Oop, thanks. Appreciate
3: it, guys. Cool. Yeah, good times. I'm going to check it out right now.